Well, praise God. So good to have our friends, Chris and Tris, and also Joel with us this morning. Amen. Are you ready for what the Lord wants to speak to you this morning? Your heart's out. Amen. You've not come to be entertained, friends. You've come to be ministered to. Yes? To go out and be a different change. Well, good morning, church. How are you all? Well, that's very well. That's more than I get in some churches. To be honest, I'm not quite ready. The churches we've been in for the last several weeks, the worship just goes on so long that even God is bored and sits so I was, I was expecting at least another six or seven songs. <laughs> Increasing antiquity seems to be the norm. It's good to be here again. It's really good to see more people. Really good to see some new people. Really good to see some of the people who've been here for years have done the normal thing and gone away for the weekend. Right? <laughs> it's, good, it's good to be back. The... Chris and I, as you know, normally be spending about a quarter to a third of the year out in eastern Siberia. And I think I shared with you last time I was here, which was like November or two. It was long enough to get But that, of course, right now we cannot get into Russia, however hard we, we, we try. I did, in a, a moment of enthusiasm, explore if there was any route at all we could fly in. Apparently, we can fly in via Abu Dhabi if I mortgage the house to get there. <laughs> and then decided it wasn't quite the Holy Spirit that was making Saudi go through Abu Dhabi something really attractive. But we've actually been quite reliably informed that even if we managed to get as far as Moscow right now as English people who are not very popular in Russia right now, we would not be able to, to get in. Um, we're finding that particularly disappointing, particularly frustrating, because as those of you who've journeyed with us for some years in the Russian ministry know, one of the things we do almost as our emphasis while we're out there is yes, we go to some quite large city churches, but we spend a good slice of our time in really quite small village and town churches. Stutzi Pastor Paul and Jane here this morning, and they, they know what I'm talking about because they've been out there, they've travelled, they've suffered the same trains and the same bumpy roads and the same temperatures, and Jane is now looking to twitches. <laughs> But a lot of the time when we're visiting churches, there might only be a dozen people, but they are the only manifestation and the only witness and the only light and the only salt for 200 miles. And I think God's heart and God's focus is particularly on those places. I think in the West we make the problem of sort of all our focus, the bigger the church, the more we focus on it. I'm not convinced Jesus goes to mega churches on a Sunday because they don't need him there. Come on. <laughs> God's particular heart and God's tears are over the small churches. And what frustrates us and what provokes us is we know it'll be three years before we're able to get back. Nobody else will have gone to encourage those churches, lift those churches, bless those churches. 
And if Tris and I can travel from England for days to get there, and if a lady from the Caribbean is prepared to face temperatures of minus 40, I haven't heard <laughs> Why can't the pastors four hours away in the large churches hop on a train and go visit them? So, can I ask you that even though we're not there, even though we're not sending out prayer letters, can you remember to pray for those small places? Now, this handsome young man over here is our son, Joel. He's sort of number three in the, in the age order. Some of you remember Joel. Well, Some of you might remember Joel. Joel's been up here in past um, dispensations. Um, I think the last time Joel was here was about five years ago when he came and did some of the worship and we did the Holy Spirit school here, here in this church. Um, but Joel, until very recently, was living still in Russia with his Russian wife. And I'm going to hand it over to you, sir. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Morning. Been a long time. I can't remember when that school was, but it was definitely a fair few years ago. So, and then, luckily God gave my wife a dream, so she's now, 
she was committed to support on me and we need to be there, which was a lot easier than me having to tell her, which was great. <laughs> and, and so the plan is end of September, we're going to pack up what we have here, jump in a car, and we're going to drive through Europe, over, through Poland, into Russia, back into Donbass route, where they need the help most. So, have been in Russia for 20 years with the documents I have and the access I have there. I'm probably, we're out bigger myself, I'm one of the only people in the West that get into that region. And yes, it is an active war zone, and yes, there is a chance we'll get blown up. But if that's where God wants me to be, then I'd rather get blown up than be out of his will. That's, that's how I see things. That's how I try my best to live my life. So we're, we're going to go out there, we're going to travel, we're going to help the churches. Uh, the population of, if you get the Don, Donetsk and the Lugansk region of the Ukraine, is around about 5 million people. I think that at least 75% of the people have either returned or chosen to stay in their homes. Just, and they also estimate that around about 95 to 97% of the houses have been either majorly damaged or completely destroyed. And I know it's not quite as far east as we were in Russia with minus 40, but it does get down to minus 20. So give it two, three months, there's a major crisis. Millions and millions, literally, of people hopeless and nowhere to live at minus 20. My background is building construction and building So one of my main things I'm going to be doing out there is just firstly helping people have doors, windows, roofs, and a way to survive. But also, I don't know how many of you know that area, but there's some big churches out there. I mean, big churches. Like thousands of people. I know in that area there's at least two churches that are overseeing thousands of people. And the pastors, one of the first things they do, or did, is they called their contacts in the States, in other places, and they left. So there are thousands of believers that are disappointed in their leaders, in the church. They ask God why this has happened. And they need someone to be with to comfort them, help them, encourage them, and, and just be there for them. Someone that didn't leave but came. It, it, it is quite stupid, I'll admit. But if God wants me to be stupid and an idiot, then I'll be stupid and an idiot. I'd rather be an idiot for God than be sensible in the church I'm not supposed to be in. So that's where I'm at. If you could pray for me and my family. So we don't have a time scale. Because of the political situation and things like that, once we've left, the chances are my family won't get back in. So it's a fairly permanent move. So we're going there open-ended. So the chances are we'll be there years, if not more. No, I mean, it's not eight years, it's potentially a permanent leave. Just be in that region and build what God wants to build there. And if anyone does want to know how long I'll be there, I'll be there until God tells me to do something else. That's, that's it. So, so please just pray for our, my family, pray for the people out there, and, and just to encourage them, and also opportunities, because they're going to be very nervous about an English person. And when I open my toolbox when it doesn't have shells in it but has tools in it, they're going to be quite shocked.
So just the situation is real, the need is real, but prayer is real. And God is real. So that's where I'm going to be. We're probably not going to see me for a while. But please be with us in prayer again. We need to pray. Yeah. I'm going to ask the to come forward, please. Let's just gather around him. And I'm going to ask everyone else to pray as well. Yeah. This is where the rubber hits the road, guys. We've talked about radical obedience and the devotionals. You know, faith and obedience. This is what it looks like. Amen. Father God, Father, we just want to thank you for Joel, for his family. Lord, we want to thank you for this, this faith and obedience, Lord. Lord, that he's going out from this place, Lord, leaving behind, Lord, the comforts of this place, Lord, the security of this place, going on a journey, Lord. Lord, only you know how long, Lord, only you know the twists and the turns that he faces, Father, his family faces, Lord. The dangers that they will, they will face, Lord. And I just pray right now, Father. We pray as a church, Lord, you're covering upon him and his family, Father God. Your protection, my Father. Oh, God, that you go before him, Father. You would open the right doors, Lord, at the right time, supernaturally, my Father. Hallelujah. Lord, send your angels before them, Father God. Surround them, Lord. Let no weapon fashion against them prosper, Lord. Any bureaucracy that they may face, God, we pray that, Lord, the doors will open, my Father. Or any opposition, Father, will fall before them supernaturally, Father God. Lord, we commit them to you today, Father God, and we commit ourselves as a church to pray. Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.
That's not about asking for what you want. You know, when your children come to you and go, I want, I want, I want, if you're as old as me, I remember the saying, I want doesn't get. You younger people won't remember that. Anybody under the age of 60. I want won't get. But you see, God gives you not what you want, but what you actually need. Different things altogether. Sometimes we go to the Lord and we go, Lord, I want this. Or actually say, I need this, I need that, I need the other. And actually, you don't need it. It's more that you want it. And God is saying today, when you ask according to his will, not yours, not what you think, but when you ask according to his will, which is in the spirit because it comes from his heart, you'll get it. I need a Mercedes. I'd love a Mercedes, actually. <laughs> but God says, do you need it? I need this. But God says, do you need it? Because when we ask, we ask for ourselves. When do we say, God, I need you to equip me with your love to serve the people out there. That's a need, not a want. And it comes from the heart of God. It doesn't come from me or what I think. It comes from the heart of God. Lord, when I walk down the street, Show me the person that you want me to talk to, or you need me to talk to. Not the person that's well-dressed, not the person that looks like me or you, not the person that's dressed in a suit. But, but, but the person look, that looks far different to what you're thinking about. How many of us actually ask that? Maybe you But see, there's a challenge that God is sending out today to you as individuals and as a church. What is it you ask for? What is it you seek? What do you knock on the door of God's heart for? Do you knock on the door of God's heart for, I need this to be filled, I need enough money to do that, I need so and so, and I need so and so and so and so. Or do you go, God, what is your heart and what are you saying? And are you saying, God, give me love for the people who don't fit in to, to my mould? Ouch. Come on. You see, my mould, and I'm talking me, my mould would be somebody who is nice. I can have coffee with them. I can sit and chat about all sorts of things, girly stuff as well as other things. 
beggar in the street? What about the girl who's walking down half-dressed? You see, when Jesus walked on the earth, he didn't go to the scribes and the Pharisees and the um, Levites and everybody else. Who did he go to? He went to the prostitutes. Do you go to men? Listen. Listen. <laughs> Hear me. Okay. Do you walk down the red light districts? For the right reasons. Women, do you actually stay away from those areas? Do you see the person sitting in the street begging and walk past them? You have no idea their background, where they came from. Jesus does. You see, that's the person that Jesus would go and talk to and spend time with. And when you do that, it upsets the religious people. Hallelujah, praise God. Come on. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the things that you feel are right and correct and fit into your mould. Because your mould is not God's mould. God's mould is outrageous. Who loves doing outrageous things? Oh, one person. Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm with you. <laughs> but you see, when you go into, you, if you, when you sit where God is, you see those outrageous things and you step out in faith because actually that's where he wants you to be. Not in control, walking on the water, which means you don't do it, he does. You know, recently the Lord said to me, lean not on your own understanding, and all of us know that verse and everything that goes around it. And I went, okay, what do you mean? You see, when you ask, when God says something, you've got to ask him what he means. Because what he means is not what you think. You know, he said, and he took me to Isaiah 55 where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, and the rest of it. But what he was saying was, when I tell you to do something, or I ask you to do something, don't work it out. Don't fit it into your little box. Because your little box is a waste of time. And plus actually stomps onto the boxes. Why? Because it takes away your protection. And it means then you don't manage God. Because that's what we're trying to do. Our God is a radical God. 
and he wants you to be a radical people that step out of your comfort zone and you step onto the water and Jesus says come and you walk and when Peter stepped out onto the water the only thing that happened was when he took his eyes off Jesus he started to sink How did he get back to the boat? Sorry? Absolutely. But how did he get back? He'd have had to walk on the water to get back to the boat. But he walked with Jesus. Come on. Jesus didn't leave him floundering. Anything like me, I don't swim very well. I don't even know when I got out of the boat, but that's another story. <laughs> but he got out of the boat, he said, Call me, he got out of the boat, and he walked. And we took when he took his eyes off the Lord, he started to sink. But you see, when he put his, when Jesus reached out and took hold of his hand, he walked back to the boat with Jesus. Hallelujah, praise God, but none of the others did it. Live not on your own understanding. Ask, seek, knock. Not what you want, but what God has on his heart. For you to do and for you to say. And he's going to challenge you this week and beyond. Are you asking what's on my heart? Or are you looking for what you want? Are you seeking what's on my heart? Or are you seeking what you desire? Are you knocking at my door so that I open it and, and hear you and see you and speak to you so that you respond? Or are you knocking at my door just to get something for yourself? So he says, get out of your comfort zone and ask according to my will and not your own thoughts and your own ways. Amen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> stand up just a minute? Can you do that? <coughs> Otherwise, we're all the precious always in painful places by the time we Has anyone got a patchwork quilt at home? You all know what I mean by a patchwork quilt. I know it's a bit sort of granny, isn't it? It's sort of actually from the back and back. It's a bit my granny generation. But um, I'm sitting there and it's sort of, well, God knows what I was doing this morning, because this morning it's going out a bit like a patchwork quilt. You know, you see some patchwork quilts and they're quite tasteful because they're all sort of matching tones and patterns and they fit together. And you see some other patchwork quilts and you're thinking, what were they thinking? <laughs> I'm sitting there with, well, God's obviously making a patchwork quilt this morning. What? Where's he thinking? Just close your eyes and make these hands. God's already done so much this morning, and actually I was sitting there because I would have been as happy as Larry if he were saying to me, actually, that's all I want to do this morning. I was visiting my first wife's mother about a week ago. And 
she was 90 this week. Unfortunately, she has not the alarm you set for when I need to finish. But thank you. Five minutes before the, it had a green light around it, and five minutes before you were due to finish, the light started to turn red and progressively. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm getting that feeling. I'm trying to talk my way out of it. Anybody, you know, you're gracious people, aren't you? I get the feeling you're a godly people, and with God there is always more grace. What, what I was going to say, I was visiting my, my sort of, I don't even know what to call her, my, my first wife's mother, those who don't know, my first wife's son, who passed away quite suddenly in 2015. Um, but a dear mother, she's 90 years old, a bit dementia, and her only son lives up in the Lake District. And I, when I was visiting um, a couple of days after her birthday, and she has carers come in, and the carers brought, came in with, brought her lunch. And I'm looking at it thinking, that actually looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was this really nice sort of, I think, smoked mackerel and some potatoes and space. I mean, I'm looking at it thinking, that's nice. And this real lady who's called Mary looks at it and goes, oh, I don't know what was in there. I think some of you are guessing where this is going. <laughs> 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 and she had a slice of human. Could not have been more English. And my father 
never ate anything other than English food. In her last days, my mother managed to get him to eat um, mince and pasta. And then the following week, she called him the spaghetti bolognese and he refused to eat it. <laughs> I went off to university and actually, of course, going to university, I very quickly discovered takeout of food. And for the first time in my life, I had a curry. And my goodness, suddenly I had a passion for hunger for curry. Very difficult to hunger for what you've never experienced. And it's so long since we've seen revival power in this nation. It's so long since we've seen an incredible harvest of souls. It's so long since we've seen uh, miraculous healings. That we actually need God to come and help us increase our hunger level again. So can you do that just for a minute? Just close your eyes in whatever way you want. If you're a good old Pentecostal and you need to ram a dam a ding dong, you ram a dam a ding dong in whatever way you want to do. If you're charismatic and you just want to sway from side to side, and if you're a Baptist and just want to flip through your Bible until you find the birds that prove me wrong, that's fine as well. God, we want more. God deliver us from being three slices of cucumber Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God deliver us, forgive us for being satisfied yes. with far less than you have got for us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Forgive us that we have become the victims of our own propaganda and believed our own jargon. God, we want more of you. God, we want more of you. And God, basically, we want more of you, because this community needs more of you. God, we want to thank you for this wonderful spiritual family. We want to thank you for this church. We want to thank you for everything that happens in this place and through this place. God, we want to say that we are blessed, but God, we also want to say it is not enough. Because it doesn't line up with what you promised in the book. And it doesn't line up with the needs of our community out there. God, you promised to bring us into a broad and a spacious land that was flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Father, enlarge. Enlarge our hunger. Father, even this morning, enlarge our capacity to receive. Deliver us from being three sizes of cucumber Christians. Don't look us next you look him in the eye and say, do you even like you? <laughs> Let me take you seriously. <laughs> I want to talk for a minute about John the Baptist. There was John the Baptist. We don't know how long he was there, but for some years there was John the Baptist in the wilderness, dressed in camel skins, eating locusts and wild honey, and basically doing what some preachers do, preaching one sermon. All the time. Prepare me the way of the Lord. Prepare me the way of the Lord. Repent. Repent. Prepare me, prepare me the way of the Lord. Then one day, Jesus came. And you can read about it in various Gospels, but basically John the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is him. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man of whom I'm not even worthy to 
sandal. I didn't know him, but I saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. I have seen and testified this is the Son of God. Would you agree with me that he had no doubt whatsoever that standing in front of him was the Messiah? He knew his Old Testament. He knew what the scriptures said. He knew what he believed. He knew the promises. He could quote so many verses. He'd given his life for this. No questions, no doubts. But he ended up not long afterwards sending messengers to Jesus. Say, are you the one? Are you the one, or is there another I should be looking for? You see, he thought he knew his Bible. He thought he knew his theology. But he was expecting and believing totally the wrong thing. Are you with me? Because he read his Bible, but what he was expecting was a conquering king like David to come. What he was expecting was somebody to come and drive out the Romans and set up a glorious physical kingdom of Israel again. And the interesting thing is Jesus didn't actually answer these messengers. He says, right there and then, Jesus did many miracles. He opened blind eyes, he healed the lame, and he says, go back and tell John what you just seen. And then Jesus said this, blessed of those who were not offended because of me. Anyone ever got offended in the church? What a dishonest condition. <laughs> 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 I bind and rebuke every lying spirit. Imagination. 
And quite clearly there, he's not just talking about the prophet prophesying, he's talking about all scripture as if it is prophecy, because the scripture and prophecy are God's word being spoken out to you. Are you with me? And he said, no scripture came because somebody thought it was a good idea, somebody imagined it, somebody invented it. God breathed it out. No prophecy, it goes on, was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men carried along by the Holy Spirit wrote from God. I want to be 100% clear where I'm at this morning so you don't hear the wrong thing and you don't take it as an excuse for something you have in your life that needs to change. I am 100% clear that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Can you agree with me, church? The Bible is God's revelation of himself and of his purpose. It goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, even the more of it, and is profitable for doctrine from a book for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is our inspiration. The Bible is our, our foundation. The Bible is our handbook for life and living. The Bible is our authority. On the 31st of October 1517, a man named Martin Luther nailed a list to the church door in Wittenberg. It was a list of about 95 points of he saw needed to be adapted, changed in the Roman Catholic Church. We call it the 95 Articles. But really those 95 points all boil down to one point. Our only authority is the Word of God. Bear with me this morning, this is going somewhere. Our only authority is the Word of God. Not the Pope, not the Cardinals, not the priests, not the vicars, not the pastors, not our favourite preacher on YouTube. <laughs> not our experiences, not our manifestations, however, however dramatic they are. Not even prophetic words, unless they line up with the Word of God. Martin Luther, when he was challenged and called before the courts, and the German word for the uh, uh, council is the word diet, and unfortunately it happened in the town of Worms, so Martin Luther was called to the diet of Worms. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> we should trump that one. <laughs> but he picked up his Bible and he said this, he was threatened with death, but he said this, here I stand. I couldn't do no other. Smith Wigglesworth used to say this, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. A pastor friend of ours used to start every single message for decades like this, God is good, his word is true, and it works in my life. John O. 
Osteen, father of Joel Osteen, who many of you will know from Christian television and YouTube. John Osteen will start every sermon, every message in the same way. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. And actually a large part of me would like to make this the whole sermon today and the whole message today. Because the modern charismatic church desperately needs to get back to valuing, to digging into, to learning, to reading, to feeding. That the Bible is the Word of God and our only authority is the Word of God. Somebody please say Amen. I thoroughly and undeservedly recommend to you the Bible.
Isaiah 40, 54, verse 2 says, they say, enlarge the place of your tent. How many of you believe in that's what folks do in this house? Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. This is the good bit, this is the prophetic bit. You shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit nation. We want to see that, we believe for that, we pray that. But the only way you can lengthen your cords, the only way you can extend your tent, is if you first pull up the tent peg. I moved up to Burnley on the Pennines. 
and went to another Baptist church with great preaching of the word, but that church had been formed because the healing church closed and the pastor decided it was all nonsense. <laughs> you can see what my heritage was there. I went from there and I joined the Brethren because I couldn't find a Baptist church that was boring enough. <laughs> Of the more accurately. 
honours you as a church because you preach the word of God. God honours you as a church because you are built on the word, you believe the word, you stand on the word. And many churches these days don't do that. Week after week. God honours you for your belief in the word, your commitment in the word, your obedience to the word. But God wants to challenge you this morning, church, if you want to see what you are believing for, if you want to see the things that have been prophesied over you in this house, if you want to see the places the Holy Spirit takes you in prayer that you're praying for when you're bold enough to let go of your shopping list of prayer, it is going to take letting God open the word and bringing us into an understanding of the more accurately. Thank you, two people. Jesus rode across the entire lake for the meeting that man in tune, so I guess I'm doing that. Let's sidestep a minute. I want to look at the area of prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. The disciples come to Jesus, you know this passage, and say, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us to pray. That wasn't one of the crowd, that was one of the disciples. Let's think about this a minute. These were good Jewish boys who would have been taught to pray as soon as they were taught to talk. They grew up with prayer. They prayed already, probably daily, because they were good Jewish boys, but they go on and And in the previous chapter, Jesus had sent them out two by two to declare the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. I don't know about you, and I've got that on my job today. My goodness, do I pray. But look what he says there. It says, as he was praying, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. We know from the Bible, and I haven't got time to unpack it and show you it fully this morning, but many of the disciples of Jesus have been disciples of John the Baptist. And it says there that they'd already been to one prayer school. They'd already been to the John the Baptist prayer school. They'd already been taught to pray by John the Baptist. But when they saw Jesus praying, they realized there was so much more. I've been a Christian over 40 years, and I don't know about you, I'm finding there is always more to learn about prayer. And Jesus taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. But in Acts chapter 2, what happens, you know this isn't meant to be a Pentecostal church. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're all together in one accord, in one place, and suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and there appeared upon them tongues as of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. There on the day of Pentecost, something shifted, and the church became filled, Christians became filled with the Holy Spirit, and a whole new type of praying was born. The New Testament refers to it time and time again. It's called praying in the Spirit. When the season changed, the way of praying changed. When the Old Testament changed, John the Baptist had to teach his disciples to pray. 
When the John the Baptist time changed, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Then when the Holy Spirit came and now lives inside of us, we don't anymore need external models of prayer. We can pray in the Spirit. Are you with me? Now, praying in the Spirit is not just a ramadamadindo, although it is part of it. Praying in the Spirit is letting the Spirit in you rise up, well up, and lead our praying. Praying in the Spirit is not praying out of your head. It's not praying out of your thoughts, like Tris has talked about. It's not praying out of our emotions, our worries, our fears, our desires, and lusts. Praying in the Spirit is we let the Holy Spirit rise up inside us and lead us in our praying. I'm preaching better than Joe responding to <laughs> Jude chapter 1 verse 20, it says, Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, Praying always with all kinds of prayers and requests, in the Spirit. How many of you can say that your prayer life reflects all kinds of prayers and requests? You see, there are different ways of praying. And I don't mean different contents. There are different flows of prayer. There are different anointings of prayer. There are different spiritual workings of prayer. Every new season has a shift in praying. If we're going to see the new season that has been being prophesied for so long, I can't remember. You see, I'm being a good boy this morning. I'm taking the joy of Isaiah 43, verse 18, even once this morning. Forget if all the things that are not well with us. And even once this morning, next to that, when I was driving through Jill Cop 2 and the power of God came on me and I shouted to change, being rearranged, it just seems strange, but don't be afraid, I haven't mentioned those things. <laughs> but if we are going to enter into the new season, if we're going to enter into this new day, if we are ever going to become the beautiful bride and the glorious church, we ain't going to get there with just the same old way of praying. Every new season is birthed by a new wave, a new season of prayer. And if we're going to stand in the new season, do you seriously think the devil is going to dearly the church is actually having the, the glory of Christ? If we are coming into the most glorious church that has ever existed on the planet, possibly since the early chapters of Acts, we're going to face the biggest opposition, the biggest persecution, the biggest attacks of the enemy since those days. The only way we're going to be able to stand in the new season, listen to me, is if we let the Holy Spirit lead us into whole new ways of praying. Be quiet in the house. I seem to have said more already, so I might as well keep going. <laughs> Let's briefly sidestep into the area of worship. In the early church, they sang psalms with their musical instruments. In the Middle Ages, the monks sang plain songs. Later, in the great days of the church organ and the powerful hymns of Charles Wesley and others. Then there came the, the military tone and the rewritten popular songs of the Salvation Army, 
with the brass band and the tambourines. Then there came the happy clappy courses of the Pentecostals. And here we are in the days of music rooms on Big Street. And if your worship songs weren't written in California or Australia, there's something wrong. All very anointed and powerful in their day. Are you with me? Because every move of God, every new move of God, has new songs and a new sound. And there is a new sound being released into the earth of these days. There is a whole new flavor, a whole new flow, a whole new tone of worship being released into the earth. Do you ever wonder why David, I know David didn't write 150 of them, but do you ever wonder why there are 150 songs? David was a modern charismatic worship leader, he liked enough to fill a CD. Why did David go on writing psalms? Because most of the psalms were written for a now occasion. And then when the occasion changed, when the need came, changed, when the expression changed, he wrote an old song. Now we love Psalm 23, we all love it, and it's great to revisit it. But David had a totally different mindset to our Bible service on Sunday. I'll do Psalm 23, that's always going down well. He always operated in the now of expression and the now of worship. And if we're going to enter into the new season of what God has won, there is going to be with it a new worship sound, new songs, new flow. In the wilderness, God bless my hands, it flows off and it is making fun of that. That's what God gave us, Tom was wrong about that. In the Old Testament, in the wilderness, when the cloud moved, what happened? They moved. But it was always the tribe of Judah that moved first. And Judah was the tribe of praise. The tribe of Judah always goes first. If our praise stays static, if our preaching stays static, if our praying stays static, enter into the fullness of what God is doing in these days. Amen.
Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. But first, we're going to have to pull up some very firmly banded tent Every Christian has them, I have them. Every church has them. Every pastor has them. We knock in ten pegs. This is what I believe. This is my theology. We knock in ten pegs, and this is how I pray. This is how we pray. First. See, I believe in the I was standing there this morning and I was just thinking, it feels good. Father, I release this church into the fullness of what you have for it. We will never be a three slices of cube of church. to challenge and upset 
some of our thinking. Just upset Holy Spirit. The way we pray. Holy Spirit, lead us into that which you are saying and you are doing in these days. Still God saying whatever you're praying, can you think about Thank you.